Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Me likey. I like my new theme song. Thanks, Jack Inslee, for writing it and producing it. And thanks, Joe Galarraga, for playing it right at the right time. No problem. Oh, Joe, you're, you haven't fallen asleep yet already. Well, fantastic. Don't worry. It's going to be a short introduction. We're going to get to our guest, Zach Kell, very soon. Very happy to have him in studio. We're going to be talking about stereotypes. People try to avoid stereotypes, and yet they exist for a reason. So we are going to talk about them. But of course, Joe, you know what I'm going to talk about, right, in this introduction? Can you guess? Uh, a new blank page? Oh, a website homepage? Page, yeah. yes. For the blank radio network. Um, Heritage. Heritage. I'm very excited. I mean, uh, they basically have gone from just doing programs, which are amazing. I mean, we have great programs, cooking issues, chef stories, beer sessions, my welcome table, my show, of course, the main course hosted by Patrick Martins. We have a James Beard show, uh, you know, Mitchell Davis's Taste Matter, Michael Harlan Turkle does the food scene. But in addition to all these unbelievable hosts that come in once a week to do their shows and book their guests, we are also adding to the HRN website. Basically, I guess it's called news. They are now just like NPR, just like CNN, just like a bunch of, you know, not so great websites about food. We have pleasure, health, news, opinion, business, and science and tech. We have a main show at the top of the uh, page and then six Shows, uh, six stories. We have a main show. I should say stories, I guess. What are you guys calling them in the office, Joe? They're like news clips? Yeah, they're like the featured articles, sort of. The features. Okay, like radio features. Okay, so we have, you know, the main one, but then there'll be six others on the homepage each day. And uh, I know that that top feature is going to change every day. So there's really a reason to come to the website every day and see these new stories. They're three to five minutes each, but they can also be seven to 10 or 90 seconds. And uh, they're being basically written by a great group of interns, but also by the hosts, also by the staff. So I am very excited. Um, I had always been surprised how lightly all the major media sources treat food. It's always about good-looking chefs or recipes or, you know, some new way of using an ingredient, when in reality, there's a whole host of issues that relate to food. And uh, this is going to be one of the first sites that actually cover food and all its complexity and multi-layers. So I'm very excited. Joe, are you excited? I am so excited. Very, very good. 
Well, um, in other news, yeah, well, Aaron's been doing a good job, other than that we need more membership brochures on the table so that people can buy their memberships. $60 for an individual and 120 for a tote bag and a family. Um, so that's about it. We are sponsored today by Fairway Market. Steve Jenkins, who was the first evolutionary, uh, so we're excited about that. And it's an exciting day. Are they all live shows today? Uh, what Doesn't Kill You, Arts and Seizures, which is the old Mike and Judy show. It's now called Arts and Seizures. Uh, the Morning After. And now Snacky Tunes is on Sundays, huh? Yeah, that's uh, a new addition. Um, used to be on Mondays. And uh, I think we're going to do all live shows except for no Katie Kiefer, unfortunately. Now, is Snacky Tunes a tough show for you to engineer? Because they often have like five or six band members and... I like a challenge, and you know that I love music, so I try to find a way to make it sound good. Now, your band is taking off, huh, Joe? Yes, that's true. So what does that mean when they say taking off? Does that mean you're getting paid more, or are you playing in bigger venues, or are you touring around the country? How do you define success? Um, that is an interesting question. I think it's we're getting a lot of press, we're playing a little bit bigger rooms, um, and we're going to maybe go on tour. Stay tuned for details. Are you trying to get even crazier on stage? Does more success means acting crazier? Um, I'm actually trying to um, tone it down a bit. Oh, because, really? No, no, I'm just kidding. You're not. But no. you are high energy on there. What's the name of your band? Uh, Big Ups. Big Ups. Can you play Big Up uh, songs that you've given HRN the right to broadcast uh, oh. during the break? Um, I could play one during the break if you give me a minute to queue it up. Um, well, I will. Why don't we just bring Zach Kell straight in? Because Zach came uh, all the way from Brooklyn to... <laughs> Brooklyn. So welcome, Zach. Well, it's a, more like South Brooklyn. South Brooklyn. We're, we're bordering on North Brooklyn now. Could you, could you just hum <laughs> a... <laughs> could you hum it, Joe? <laughs> uh, no, hum your song. Is that the song? It's the whole song. That is the whole that, song. Well, yeah. I can see why you're blowing up. Yeah, yeah Marcel Marceau was uh, helping you on that one, the mime, yeah, the famous we're, mime. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going places. Yeah, no, I believe it. Well, um, should we take a break? Let's take a break and then come back with Zach so we can clean it and st stick to the rules of the outlines. But I'm very excited to talk about stereotypes with my good friend, Zach Kell. Um, and it's going to be a very good show. So we are going to take a one-minute break, and we will be right back on the main course. You're listening to Goes Black by Big Ups on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years, so it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com.
Wow, who is that singing? I guess that means Joe. <laughs> so, um, Joe, is everything working? Maybe Joe. Yeah, I think that I, uh, you know, I was just rocking out so hard I blew a speaker in here. No, that was very, that was definitely rocking out. Well, I'm very excited. This is uh, the main course. I'm your host, Patrick Martins. We're broadcasting live out of Roberta's Restaurant, and we have in studio with us Zach Cow. Welcome, Zach. Thank you. Is the uh, the fairway shout out? Is that part of the song? <laughs> Because I like that. That's <laughs> the Steve Jenkins remix, actually. Anytime you can weave in the word fait accompli into a song, uh, that's going to be success. Well, uh, Zach is the chef of Community Food and Juice, right? Yes. Um, and uh, has been a chef around New York City. He hails originally from Indiana. So he has seen all types of american life he's cooked on the lower east side on the upper west side he's cooked all around the country brooklyn brooklyn i actually lived in this neighborhood for about four years yeah pre-robertas so give us the headlines start from your very first cooking job all the way through just to contextualize for our listeners who didn't hear you well, the last have time to, you're on the show i would have to say like i started my father was in remodeling construction so i started my first job was working with him um at like 14 so like 14 to 16 and then as soon as i got a driver's license i started working at a pizza place called johnny rockets mm-hmm. which we all in new york know is the like burger diner That's joint what i was gonna say yeah yeah no in in indiana johnny rockets is a pizza place is it like mcdonald's and coming to america that movie with uh, mcdougall's mcdougall's uh, yeah, no, no 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 it was it's totally well i got you know disclaimer where i'm from in indiana is called bloomington which is where Indiana University is. So it's about 100,000 people, but like 60% of the town is university-affiliated. Hmm. So it's a college town. but a it's liberal very, town. Yeah, yeah. Very is diverse. Indiana a liberal state? No, no, no. no. Right. Most of the rest of Indiana is very conservative and a, kind of a weird place. Like if I was going to live anywhere in Indiana, it would be in Bloomington or South Bend, which is where Purdue is. Right. So it's, you know, it's not the, the same kind of vibe. There's a lot of bars, you know, and, and... Does that bother Republicans that anywhere where there is a seat of education, then everyone's it's like a Democratic? Democrat? <laughs> and when there is no schooling and yeah, no well, university, you know, I, they're Republicans. I think that, that they must probably be a don't, little bothersome. Yeah, I think they probably don't think about it. Yes, true. You know? Um, but yeah, so my first job was at 16. I started delivering pizzas at this place, Johnny Rockets, mm-hmm. and uh, doing some like prep work and stuff like that. And uh, you know that was that was kind of like my entry to it. And then I moved from there to a uh, a Greek place, making gyros, gyros. Still working, here, still living yeah. at home, still working the local circuit. Then no, I I had moved out by oh. the time I started carving meat off of the spit. Okay, and. Um, Gitos, so Giros, the best food in the Giros, world. Whatever you know, yeah, I'm not however sure you want to pronounce, pronounce it. it yeah. <laughs> um, it's delicious, though. Yeah, yeah, no. And I started, I started doing pretty good there, and I was expediting, and I kind of got into it. And then, uh, like one of the first kind of like fine dining restaurants, as I would have described it at 17, opened up. And uh, in 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 that town, in that town, yeah, yeah. And at the time, I had a friend that was helping open it up. And I really had no idea what, like, food was or restaurants, you know. So I was like, sure, let's go. You know, it was more money. So I started working there. And, I mean, the place was, it was just, the the food was just really gross. Really? And, yeah. So yeah, what yeah, were you yeah. doing? You were uh, just like, grand manger. You were doing anything that needed to happen to get the food out? 
Oh, at that restaurant, I was doing everything. everything. Uh, yeah, I was working the grill, saute, you know. But it was, I mean, it was like, like the best-selling entree on the menu was a boneless, skinless chicken breast <laughs> that we cooked in a pan with julienne vegetables. And then we took lemon juice with, like, cornstarch slurry. And that was the sauce. <laughs> like, squirted nothing. lemon juice in there. Yeah, it was just... Did you think the food was good back then? Well, I, I had no idea what I was doing. You were just you know? like, this is good. Yeah, I was like, whatever, I'm making $8 an hour, which was, like, insane money in 1998 in Bloomington, Indiana. I was like, yes, rolling in it, you know? You're like, hey, Mom, Dad, you're coming over. I recommend the chicken breast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I moved, like, you know, I worked there for about two years, and I was I was kind of running the line, and then I had an opportunity to come to New York. How did that happen? I jumped on, well, Just a, a friend... friend yeah, so I, I started dating one of the girls that was working in the kitchen there. And a mutual friend of ours from high school had moved out here into Park Slope and was like, yeah, if you guys want to come out, you can crash with us till you find a place, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we were like, great, let's do it. And we loaded up a van on January 1st of 2000 and rolled out. Wow. And yeah, like did nothing. I worked at a bagel place for like three months while I got myself into culinary school. And do you remember I, which one? I worked at a bagel place called Taylor's. Bakery is also a bakery, but yeah. it's a bagel. No, place. this was uh, it, they, their names changed now, but it used to be called uh, Bagels and Stuff. Bagels and Stuff. Yeah, it was on Seventh Avenue and like First Street or something, mm-hmm. right by a church down there. I was like stocking soda fridges and <laughs> doing whatever it took. Huh? Yeah, putting smears on then? stuff. We were like right on. No, no. So I guess the bagel place was a few streets down, like on President or something. I was living on Seventh and First. The girl had, uh, like, the floor through, the first floor of a brownstone. And then we moved, you know, after a month or something, when we scrambled some money together up to, like, 15th and 7th. Mm-hmm. So that was back when, like, Park Slope was still a little grimy. You know, once you got past, like, 9th Street, it was all 99-cent stores. And Now it's still grimy. It's just the poop of all the little babies and all yeah, the strollers. Yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, you go up, like, you go past 9th Street and, like, all of 5th Avenue, you know, Fifth Avenue was yeah. nothing in 2000. It was Fourth all... Fourth was bonafide dangerous. Fourth Avenue. Oh, yeah. Fifth wasn't much better. Yeah. But as you got up, I'm sure it got nicer by the park. But yeah, Park yeah. Soap wasn't yeah, yeah. what it is today, yeah. for sure. No, but Fifth Avenue is like all bars and restaurants and like nice places now. Yeah. Fifth Avenue's great, even like all the way down to like 25th Street. Yeah. There's awesome stuff happening down there. No. And then, what was your first big gig? Uh, it was down on Clinton Street, right? Was that... No, 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 no. I was... Uh, Let's see. My first job was at the Judson Grill. Oh wow! Which was which is no by, longer, right? no longer. Yeah, that was Bill Telepan's place, um, and that was you know in like oh one or oh two. I can't remember. Um, and they yeah no like years later they eventually gave that to uh, Bobby Flay. It's now a Mesa Grill, but the Judson was I think an Mesa awesome place. Closed, no, did they? I don't know. I don't know. I, I I some one it. of his restaurants yeah. closed, but anyway. Wow. No, Judson was an awesome place. It was a three-star new American restaurant right in the theater district there. You know, they did huge business. I worked there kind of as an extern um, for like six months, and I was horrible at it. Does that mean you're free? you work for free? No, no, no. I got paid. But it was, uh, you know, once I got into culinary school, I was doing pretty good in culinary school, and I asked one of my instructors, I was like, I need a job. Where should I go? And he was like, go talk to my friend Bill. I worked for him for years, you know, or worked... He, Bill worked for this dude for years, okay. right? 
And he was like, yeah, his restaurant's great. Go talk to him, get a job there. So I got a job there, and I was just, like, working hot apps, making crab cakes, and I sucked at it. I was horrible. Worst fucking employee ever. Um, for, like, six months. And then I couldn't handle it, like, the hours, and the pay was really crappy. And I was like, all right, no, I'm out of here. I'm giving you my two weeks. And I kind of got fired after, like, a you know, the halfway through the two-week notice. When anyone ever quits, I'm just like, no one month quitting. You have to leave now because you're obviously you don't care as much, right? Once yeah, you leave, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kinda... No, I, I, he was just ready to get rid of me from the minute I walked in the door, <laughs> you know. But then after that, I started working for Mark Spangenthal hmm. at this place called The Dining Room on the Upper East Side, which is now Candle 79. Oh. They're like a famous, like, vegan restaurant. Hmm. Um and I was there for like two years, and that was kind of like really where I started to click with like New York restaurant stuff. Mm-hmm. It was a good place, two star, New American, did a lot of good stuff there. Um, that's also where I met Cal from Rye. Right, great and, restaurant yeah. here in Williamsburg. And Polo. Built, built it himself. Polo, yeah. right, ended up being chef at Dressler, right, in a bunch yeah. of restaurants here. Yeah, yeah, me, Cal, Polo all worked on the line up there. We were all together for a couple of years. They split and went and worked at Gramercy Tavern for a while before they took over uh, Dumont. And I actually went back home and was back in Indiana for like a year and a half doing some whatever stuff. I was a chef at a summer camp. That was awesome. <laughs> You're like, and, then, and again, yeah. chicken a la king. <laughs> No, it was yeah, it was great. Sloppy it was Joe's. like pulled, yeah, pulled pork, like frying bacon without a shirt on in the morning, like you know. It was no, that was a blast. But I got done with that, and I had nothing going on. And I called them. They or actually they called me up, and they were like, "We took over this place in Williamsburg. We know that you're not doing anything in Indiana. Why don't you come back out and cook?" And I was like, "Great." So I rolled back out, and I worked there with them for a few. Was years. that a dark time for you going back to Indiana, or were you? Happy oh no, to it was a blast. Yeah, you like. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you mean dark time. And like well, just when I was just like I was home. like blacked out for most of it, oh, so there was a lot of dark time <laughs> that was happening, time. you know. <laughs> no, but it was it was good, it, you know, and it was it was very interesting to be in New York for a couple of years and go to culinary school and really see what like restaurants were really about, and then to go back home. Those and, kids were freaking lucky. Yeah, no, and to work in restaurants like back in Indiana and be like, Jesus Christ, what the hell are you people doing out? Like, this is what food is. And we're like supposed to be progressive and democratic and liberal. Like, no, this is horrible. Just everything comes out of the freezer and goes right into the deep fryer, you know? Yeah, they're liberal in terms of university, but not Mm -hmm. in terms of other restaurants to compare themselves to. But it was, you know, it it was interesting when I went back. I had an opportunity to work for this guy, Dave Talent. And he went to CIA and did some stuff around Atlanta and had just come back. And uh, right before I went and did the chef at summer camp thing. And he was opening up and uh, I heard about him and I went and I was his sous chef and helped him open the place. And his business partner at the time actually got all the money together for the restaurant because he was selling weed for the British Columbian Hells Angels. Oh, very nice. Right? They smoke which, a lot. Yeah, which we found out way later, you know. <laughs> so we opened it up, but he was, you know, he was a CIA graduate and he really like had a lot of ideas. He didn't have a lot of experience. <clears throat> but he was really trying to do something and it was the first like real restaurant I think that had ever opened in Indiana. And I've been back, you know, I go back every year for a week or something to see the family and mm-hmm. everything. And the culinary scene there has really changed mm. a lot. I think 
really predicated off of what this guy started doing. No, Zach, you're modest. You are their favorite child. <laughs> you're the one that yeah. went to New York and succeeded. No, but I mean, like, you know, we went back like two years ago, me and my fiance, and we had a, we went back for New Year's and we had dinner there and it was honestly one of the best meals I've ever had. That's great. Yeah, it was really amazing. And, you know, I, I feel like it was a, a few years of him kind of doing his thing and figuring it out and really pulling it together and being able to operate as a good restaurant. Cause all you really need is the, the knowledge and then through operating, you gain the experience and you, you can make good food if you care about it and you actually know what it's supposed to be. Where do they go wrong? Is it the ingredients? Is it the technique? Is it how to make a reduction of a sauce? I mean, what, what is well, the main a, thing? I mean, the, with restaurants, it's like there's so many variables that it's hard to pin down a main thing. Like it could be anything, and it's very easy for it to be anything. You know, it could be the location, or it could be how you're storing your food, or it could be the ideas, or it could be you know the management, or like yeah, no. Well, I mean, but it's you know like having good food is just one aspect of a successful restaurant right right like in honestly to be successful i mean you look at all these places and go to the west village you know and there's like every italian place on the block or little italy like every single restaurant in little italy on mott street is the same cookie cutter restaurant Mm -hmm. and they all suck the food is horrible but they're successful they make tons of money you know and it's just it's any one of these aspects that can make it happen they've got the tourist vibe where the italian restaurant on mott street and people go there and get shitty kitchen chicken cacciatore and mm-hmm. they're like oh i'm on mott street in little italy i love it it's amazing you know where they put like chicken with espresso the pasta over it yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and the espresso comes in like a two gallon jug or yeah something yeah like yeah. That. yeah everything comes out of a can you yeah. know it's but it but it works and they're making money and then you look at a place like this you know and they're they make good pizza but they're in kind of a weird area and you can't there's no signage you know it's like a warehouse around the corner but they're packed every time i come here you know and the food's good and they got into a good neighborhood that needed something and then they started doing stuff like this and um yeah well then it it worked you know thanks uh thanks joe um and then uh well, let's ask. So take us through, because we haven't even gotten to our theme. I knew this would happen with you. We're a minute 23 out of 40, and we haven't even touched upon <laughs> our, our our stereotype, uh, our bordering on uh, controversial stereotype right. issues. So then right. you get back and... Yeah, so I got back, and I started working at Dumont in Williamsburg. And, famous uh, burger, right? One of the first yeah. Brooklyn restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again... Kind of like this place, they were, this was, you know, in the early 2000s when Williamsburg was just kind of starting to happen. And uh, they were a little further out, like on the Lorimer stop. So there was really in that area on Union Lorimer Street. Lorimer stop is the second stop on the L train. So if you're yeah. coming anywhere into this neighborhood, Bedford, that was full. But Lorimer, even though it was just eight blocks away, it was still yeah, one step Yeah, it was still kind of out back, you know. It's funny. And then you get out here, what this is like. The Three more stop. stops. Yeah, it goes Lorimer. Bedford, Lorimer, Graham, Grand, Grand. Montrose, yeah. Morgan. Morgan, yeah. So six. So this was like total no man's land. But Union was still 
kind of a little barren. But there were a lot of people that were living there. But there was no business. You had like Union Pool and you had uh, Kellogg's Diner, you know? Yeah. And then you had Dumont that had opened up and started to get a following. And uh, so, yeah, I was there for a couple of years. And then I went and opened Dumont Burger when they did that. And then Dumont Burger started picking up and they opened Dresler. And I went back to Dumont and kind of ran Dumont for a while. Wow. And then we had this other guy that actually worked at the dining room with us, Justin Ernsberger. What a great name. Um, for Yeah, I know. He's the dude's a maniac. You should have him on the show okay, sometime. Yeah. He'd be a, a blast. Have yeah. both of you guys on. So he he started working with them at Dresler because he just needed a job, something to fill the time. And he'd actually been working with Neil before at Clinton Street Baking Company. So I reconnected with him. He came from Dresler down to Dumont to help us out. And I reconnected with him. And um, we both kind of like just hated it what we were doing you know it's one of those things i mean kind of like where i am now i'm i get to be a little more creative but it's like once a restaurant hits this certain level of success it, it has its go-to dishes you can't yeah, mess with them yeah it just becomes like a machine and then it, you get you know way less creative and it just becomes about keeping the wheels greased you yeah. know and it's it's much more of a job that probably happens any place that's not yours anywhere right? I mean, yeah well i mean in, in anywhere that's successful i'm sure it's the same here it's like nobody's messing with that yeah, yeah. you know like he's you know pointing by the way at a margarita at a pizza margarita with some yeah. and it it's great and it's what makes the money <laughs> and it's what brings people in and there's no reason and once you've made it a hundred thousand times yes then it's just the same thing you know you just you kind of shut off and you go into that mode and you just crank it out you know so he, he went back to Clinton Street and brought me with him. Now, let me ask, what is the situation before we move on of Dumont and Dresser and all those? Because I know the owner is no longer with us. I mean, are those places yeah. still existing? That, well, they are. I am i don't really know. I know that Polo bought Dresler. Oh, okay. And I think that kind of was part of the situation with Colin, like the mm -hmm. downfall of Dresler. And then I guess their business wasn't doing so well. I mean, they were successful, but it's like, you know, having asses and seats is different than actually making money. It just depends yes. on how you run your business. Sure. Um, so I don't really know what Dumont and Dumont Burger are doing because I'm not really part of that scene anymore. I know Rye's doing well. They just opened their bar downstairs, yes. and that place is awesome. Beautiful restaurant, Rye. Yeah, and, uh, and I guess Dresler is going to reopen. Okay. I don't really keep in touch with polo too much so tell us uh, fast forward so now we're at 61 clinton you you came back with yeah him so i was at clinton street and then ernsberger kind of fell out and you know went off and started doing his own thing he's a big seafood guy he's all over the place he's actually opening uh i don't know if i'm supposed to say anything about this but the rumor is that grand central oyster bar okay. is putting a restaurant in over on atlantic oh really yeah atlantic avenue here in brooklyn yeah Great, yeah, that'd right be good down for me. Brooklyn Heights by us. So, oh wow! Yeah, that'll be fun. Sure. And uh, when I saw him, I was at a, a customer appreciation event for Dairyland a couple of weeks ago, and I ran into him, and he, that's what he said he was doing. So that'd be awesome. I would yeah. love to have an yeah, oyster yeah, bar yeah. right over there. Within that'd be walking great. distance, that'd yeah. be great. I love oysters. Um. So yeah. So then I I took over there, and I basically you know one of the things that I'm really good at is organizing and making a well-oiled machine happen 
And I just kind of did that with Clinton Street, and it turned into the monster so why is that, that it is. Why is that? What do you have? You're a people person. I mean, people like you when you're yeah. around them, but it's more than that. Do you know how to read a person and find out what their strong it's, suits and short suits are? I think it's 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 more about organization. And, you know, like I said, with restaurants, there's so many factors and variables. Yeah. Even where things are located on the yeah. line, like how exactly, far you're exactly. reaching for stuff. Yeah, well, and but... Because there's like factors and variables, which means a lot of overhead. So there are a lot of things that can really easily get out of hand and make you have a very successful restaurant like Dumont, but then look at your bank account and be like, we have no money. You know, like we're doing 300 covers every day, but you know, we're paying way too much because these guys are all getting overtime and right. we're ordering way too much food and they're not turning the burners off. So our gas bill is $80,000 a year. And like, you know, all these things can get out of hand. Uh, so people really kind of think short sighted. What do they call it? Like a, a dollar, no, like dollar rich penny poor or something oh, like I that. See, I you, see. Yeah, yeah. you know, I don't yeah. know. Joe, can you Google that? Penny rich dollar poor yeah something like that i'll look i'll look into it thank yeah, you yeah well i mean basically the whole idea is they think very short-sighted right and they're like so all right well we got to cut all of our staff right and then you start doing things like that and then the food quality goes down yeah. and then it's like an- another problem arises because of that. yeah well like you cut all your staff so you're not spending as much on labor but then the food starts to suck and then sure for a while it continues because people are into the hype of it you know, but then after a couple of months, they're like, "Wow, the food sucks," and then they quit showing up, and then you're out of that that hype loop that gets all the people in, and then it's over. Right. You know, because you were like, "Oh, well, I gotta, I gotta cut my staff here." So yeah. you know, you gotta, you gotta think about big picture kind of stuff, right? So you like, do, you come in and you can look at a space and look at a team, and you can be like, "This is a mess. This has to be organized." Yeah, this you're is fired. what we need you're to do, and all that. yeah. And we need to have this extra guy here because if this guy calls in sick or ends up in jail because he was drinking too much last night, that we're not going to fall apart and have all these problems tomorrow. You got to keep those things going, right. you know. So it's you know it's it's about not being short sighted right. in those things and figuring out how to organize it. Like where can you spend the money? Where can't you spend the money? What do you need to do? What don't you need to do? And, and do you yell in the kitchen personally? I mean, are you like what the fuck? Oh yeah, together. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. sometimes it yeah. just the shit it hits just the happens. fan, and it yeah. just happens. Yeah. Everybody has like a threshold for how much they can take, you know, before you lose your cool. Everybody's got that, and uh, you know, once you hit that like level, you're gonna blow up. Blow Everybody up. does it, you know, or you're gonna shut down. You know? So sixty one Clinton to community food and juice. Yeah. And Community Food and Juice is a Columbia University institution. Yeah. Although it is a restaurant that could exist in other cities. I mean, you could imagine seeing a restaurant like that in Bloomington, wherever yeah. people live. No, no, no. I, like, I really think anywhere that there is a college campus, yes. Community Food and Juice would do well. Do well, that's true. Yeah. So we're going to uh, take a brief break, and then we are going to come back and talk about what, you know, I knew this would happen. Uh, we would get <laughs> off every tangent. But we're going to talk about stereotypes zach is definitely a guy i feel comfortable doing with this we're going to stereotype everybody there's no uh because you know i'm definitely gonna offend somebody yeah oh everyone (laughs) including white people i'm sure the most but we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back
you are listening to Archipelago. This one's called Hasid Dash on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. We are back. We are going to talk about stereotypes. We have in studio Zach Kalt, the chef of Community Food and Juice. We just heard a very interesting history about all the other places he's worked. And because he's worked in so many places and experiences and has to manage so many different types of people, who better to talk about stereotypes? So I'm watching Breaking Bad. So my first people... I want to ask about is Mexicans, people from Puebla. You know, I mean, I know they. I mean, they're all. It's actually it's 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 an interesting thing that you mentioned Puebla because when you look at the geography, most of the Mexicans in New York, a very large part of the population, are from Puebla because it's actually a closer flight to New York than it is to L.A. Huh. And most of the Mexicans in L.A. are from, like, Mexico City or the north hmm. because it's a, it's a closer trip. But it's, you know, it's like Central America's big. America's yeah. big. But when you get down there in the very south, like where Puebla is, it's actually, like, only, like, a four- or five-hour flight to get to New York. But, so, I mean, not all of them fly. I mean, some of them Well, anymore. Up, right. I mean, that this was, like, you oh, know, back, back in the, in the, so yeah, the 70s in and 80s when it started. Right. And you could literally just get on a plane and fly to New York and then just stay. You know, you can't do that anymore. So what uh, is it? Uh, do you, are they, like, I mean, these Mexican people, I mean, they, they are really responsible for so much of the success of the New yeah. York City food scene, but also yeah. probably the food scene of restaurants all throughout the country. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, what is there a stereotype? I mean, everyone's like, they're hard workers. They, uh, I mean, do you hire always their I brothers the and cousins? stereotype is that they're lazy, but I, oh, the, right. see, the, I think the the biggest issue is that you so you have all these guys and the main thing that a lot of them do is they come to America to work for like three years, right? And they just work, 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 work. That's it. They Send do doubles the money back and, home. Yeah. and then they go back and live like kings. You know, they like they come here and they, they make all this money and they buy a ranch and do they, they go get back paid and, well? No. No, but I mean, for there, they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. comparatively speaking, you know. And are most of these guys <coughs> on the books or off the books? I mean. Well, where I work now, everybody's on the books. Yeah. We are totally legitimate. Everybody has papers. Mm-hmm. You know, they, if you cannot work for me if you do not have a state ID and a social security card or mm-hmm. a, you know, permanent resident card. Got to have all filled out, you know. But, uh, you know, the average pay for my guys is like. $10 an hour. Mm-hmm. I saw all my dishwashers make $9 an hour. 
they start at eight, and then if they're there for a month and they don't screw everything up, then I'll give them nine. Cooks, no experience, start at ten, and then it kind of builds from there. Like if you come in and you've got a year of experience, I'll give you eleven. If you've got two years, I'll mm-hmm. give you twelve. You know, but nobody makes more than like fourteen dollars an hour. I see. All right, well, let's go. Let's keep on going. So now, white people. Can't, is there a stereotype for white people? Like you see a white family coming in, or well, white if I nothing? had to like go stereotype, I would say you know the Mexican stereotype is uneducated and lazy. The white people stereotype is lazy and like money centered. Yeah, money centered, you know? yes, that's what I was. Gonna yeah, guess. but lazy in a different way. Like the you know the white guy wants to hire the Mexican to do all the work so that the white guy can make the money. That's right, the right. stereotype, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very interesting. But, I mean, are, do you have trouble, like, with your crowd up there, the white people? I mean, these are university professors and no. parents of students. Are they demanding? Or they are. They're very particular. I, I don't This isn't rare. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we had this one lady that was in yesterday, actually, that put in an order in her order for a country breakfast, right? So the country breakfast is a buttermilk biscuit, your ham. Okay. Right? Heritage foods, yeah. Uh Two eggs, however you want them, and our carrot hash, right? Potatoes and carrots, shredded carrots. So she came in by herself, and her order literally was like, you know, normally you just bring it in, it's like country breakfast scrambled. Her order was country breakfast scrambled. Ham, medium well, not dry. (laughs) Eggs, scrambled soft, not too wet. Biscuit, crispy and i'm like what is this, yeah, like, yeah, this how is- do you make ham medium well it's already cooked <laughs> <laughs> like, you know crazy. so i was like yeah it rang in and I, I called the server back and i'm like what this makes no sense and he's like i don't know she's totally insane person and i'm like all right so we're just gonna send it out and count on it coming back like we're gonna send it out see it's gonna wrong. come back and then we're gonna send it out again that's just gonna happen that's how this is gonna go you know now, but it's, it's like Upper that. West Side. That's everybody up there, you know? Yeah, it is. That. Well, white people can be like you say. Yeah, yeah they are lazy too, but for, for a different reason. Yeah. Now, uh, front of the house, waiters, waitresses. I mean, I always You mean imagined- actors and actresses? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a stereotype. So is that a true stereotype? It is so true. Yeah. Like every single one of them, you know? And, and it's- <laughs> every single yeah. one. No it's career funny. waiters are it's, all yeah. actors. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of a big problem with the industry, too, because there used to be a time when being a server was a real career, and there was something to, to giving service, and mm-hmm. it was something you actually trained for and learned how to do. And, and stay it was, at a restaurant for many years. Yeah, no, yeah. I, you go to places like Peter Luger's, and, you know, you have these, like... Or anywhere like, in Europe, I mean, yeah, Western Europe. Yeah, I mean, and, and it is, a re- it's a real skill to know how to serve somebody and how to how to give good service. It's a real skill that you actually have to work at, and it's kind of a dead art, at least in America, yeah. because it's just an easy money job, you know? And it's it's a big issue... I think in the restaurant industry where you get, you know, because you have all these Mexicans in the kitchen and part of the reason they're doing it is because they're like, whatever, this is the job I can get. I don't even want to learn English. I'm just here to make some money and sit at home and get out. Mm -hmm. But when you get into service and you get into a good restaurant like these guys here, you know, I guarantee they're they're making $300 a day cash in their pocket. Right. So it's an easy thing to do like three days a week and live in New York while you're trying to have support your acting career or whatever it's perfect it's a perfect thing so it is a true stereotype wow very interesting yeah 
All right. Now, delivery guys. I mean, you must get so many different deliveries from these professional drivers that spend their entire working life. Oh, you mean like the uh, from the purveyors? Yo, yeah, Laprida yeah. yeah. guys. Yeah. Those guys. Are those yeah. a, an upstanding, awesome connection to you and the farm or you and the distributor? I or are they don't nightmares? deal with them at you all. No. I have a guy. He's called a steward, right? So this is a position... In a restaurant, Sounds and you very have a prestigious. yeah. When you have a big restaurant, you have to have a steward, and his basically his whole job is to just receive deliveries and put them where they're supposed to go. Joe Bastianich, uh, uh, who wrote a book with my co-writer for my book, Mike Edison, said that that guy is the most important guy in the he, whole restaurant because the I profits would, are made or lost. No, I don't know if I would say he's the most important guy. Um, I mean, I guess that also depends on your perspective. Hey, Mike, is he the most important guy here? Get in. Just tell us. What did Joe mean? Because uh, there's a fight brewing here. What yeah. What did he say about the steward? Well, you need a guy who's absolutely uh, 100% honest and not on the take because that's the point where all the food comes in and everyone wants to give you a little bit something light. And Joe talked about, you know, that's the point. you got to sign the ticket. you got to check the weight because once you have that ticket in your hand, it's hard to send it back. Yeah, and you know, and you got to be careful because you're paying for ice weight, and you know, you want to make sure things are cut close to the bone and whatnot. When it comes in, it's got to be absolutely right, and that guy has got to be on your team. Now, this is also that sounds like Mike Edison, host yeah. of Arts and Seizures. That sounds like something that somebody who has like 15 restaurants would say, <laughs> right? And and which I totally agree with. If I had 15 restaurants, that is definitely the point where I would be looking at money falling through the sieve, right? right? But from my perspective, I run one restaurant, and so it's not know. even my restaurant. Yeah. So it's like you know, the profits and that that like those things that those aren't my concern. My concern is making sure that my costs are where they're supposed to be, so that the owners are happy, so that I get a raise next year, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, from my perspective, like the most important person in the restaurant is the guy that can run the show when I'm not there, so I don't have to do 180 fucking hours a week, right. you know, which. Is, what is he called? Your three chef. different guys. Well, I mean, it, oh. it depends. It could be anybody, you know. Like it could be my sous chef. It could be the food runner. It could be the manager that's on at the time. Um, but it's you know from day to day. I just I, I look at every service and I go, all right, who's my guy who's on top of it? This service, mm-hmm. Manny. Okay, Manny's there. That's good. All right, we're solid with that one. Even if the manager in the front of the house is screwing up and everybody else, Manny's going to make it happen for me. Who's my guy here at this you know dinner that i'm not going to be there for because mm-hmm. i don't want to work a double today it's like oh mike is working he's the gm he's there okay whatever happens kitchen falls apart mike's going to cover it it'll right. be fine you know so for me it's, it's yeah it's it's a day-to-day operation thing you know can you make any uh stereo controversial stereotypical observations about tipping do certain people tip better than others? Certain people tip worse, or is it? just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't want to. Well, it was, it was I, very I mean, interesting. Sometimes uh, Europeans they even just add on the tip because they just know it's not part of the culture there to tip on. The well, food. I mean, like we were talking about before about the uh, the uh, the career of being a server in Europe. They actually pay servers. That's why they don't tip in Europe because servers make a salary, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of them come over here and they, they don't understand like the whole idea of it, and you know, or if they do, they will use that as an excuse to not tip. Like, oh, I'm from Europe. This is right, what right, we do. Right. I didn't know. You know, that's how we roll. Yeah, that's how we roll. 
And um, what about uh, purveyors? I mean, uh, big guys like Dairyland versus fish guys versus meat guys versus little heritage food guys that are only delivering a you few know, things a week. Well, you have like these these rare exceptions like you guys, right, which are really in it to do something and you're great. And then you have everybody else where it's really kind of just about how much money you spend with them. Mm-hmm. I love Dairyland. My sales rep there is awesome. Uh, they give me great products. They actually carry a lot of really good things. They, you know, Piedmontese, the vintage beef, like, you know, whatever I want in, in whatever capacity. If I want non-GMO, they've got it. You know, mm-hmm. if I want grass-fed, they've got it. And they have everything. And I spend a lot of money with them. And because I do that, they're really nice to me. They take anything back I want to send back. and They, they come over and visit you once yeah, a Yeah, they come over How and visit me. How often do the big guys visit? I mean, do they have... Well, I to- see Belle Thompson is my my rep at Dairyland. I see her every month at really? least. Yeah. She'll show her face. She'll give me baseball tickets. You know? Really? <laughs> yeah. Send me to dinner Listen, somewhere. Man, we have some Nets know, tickets. Like, I have yeah, some yeah, season yeah. tickets to the Nets. No, I know. Well, I'm just counting on a ticket to Kansas City next year. That's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had a great time. Zach was one of the chefs that came out to Kansas City with us. And, man, we had a great time. Um, we went with some people, including the chefs of the Las Vegas restaurants where we launched Godtober. That was pretty cool. Um, wow, stereotypes. Have we offended enough people yet? Uh, we've talk about the Jews. Oh, the Jews. Oh, we didn't talk about the Jews. No, let's talk about it. Now, here you can say whatever, because I'm Jewish, uh, Mike's yeah, Jewish. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the Jews are easy because they own everything. <laughs> the Jews. No pork, though. And uh, are they difficult? Are Jews more difficult? I mean, can you even tell if they're Jewish? Well, I don't know. Generally, when I deal with the Jews, I go, yes, sir. Thank you for signing my paycheck. Sir. <laughs> so you're owned by Jews. Yeah. Well, I'm actually Jewish, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not practicing, but my mother's Jewish, so that makes me Jewish by default. A good-looking Jew. Yeah. Let's uh, call Israel. Tell them. <laughs> we have a good-looking Jew well, here I'll in the um, uh The part that got left out of Joe's book, Restaurant Man, um, was the part uh, where he explains why Jews love veal. Because <laughs> we were talking about profiling customers. Yeah. And you're taking yeah, a look yeah. at who's in, and he's saying, well, you know, you're wearing this jet, you know, you're wearing a blazer, you're dressed up a little bit. Is this broad your wife? Is it a girlfriend? You're trying to impress her, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But um, you're somebody, I said, well, profiling is, so I'm sizing you up. He goes, you, you like the veal chop. I'm like, well, 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 yeah, I do. He goes, it's because you're a Jew. Jews love veal. Because, <laughs> because. A veal chop is probably the best value on the menu in terms of like food cost to what the markup is, right? Because you can't mark up something that's. A big slab of protein as much as, you know, you can pasta or, or whatever. And he knows, you know inherently that that's a good value. And that's why you can order veal. I'm like, fuck, if he's not right. Because, of course, I love that veal chop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the Jews are against Joe making a high markup? No. <laughs> no, 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 because the Jews realize that veal is an expensive product. So you can't, if you were going to just, like, get it, you can't get a cheap cut of veal, yeah, yeah. right? So, like, you, you know, get, you know, if you were to mark it up three times, like, you might mark it'd be up, like $80 you know, plate bigger, of food, some, you know, some of the bigger <laughs> yeah, margin yeah, yeah. things. You know, he says, Joe said, you know, every time, and I think this is in the book, is when you come and order a veal chop because it's such a high food cost, you know, sometimes I'd rather just give you five bucks to leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do think that is also part of it. They're like, no, Joe is rich enough. I'll have the veal so chop. So, if we want to get offensive, though, I used to work with this guy, Cook, very racist dude. He was hilarious, though. And his big thing is he always said that pork is God's meat. Uh-huh. It was like the pig is the only animal that God came down from on high and was like, "Don't eat this. <laughs> this is the best thing in the world, and this is only for me. All of my followers, no bacon for you. 
get out of here. You know? <laughs> for me. That is crazy that that uh, animal is prohibited. That's bad for business for me. God, well, if I could open myself up to animal. that. But it's I get amazing. where I get where he was I don't coming really from. Jews aren't, aren't eating the bacon these days. You know, it's uh, it's kind of old school. And so you don't keep kosher, Mike. Well, you haven't spent a whole lot of time like ten blocks east of here. West, west well, of here. I have spent a lot of time in traffic because they make U-turns on these uh, two-lane oh, yeah, 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 streets. Because yeah, yeah. those zero. minivans, they are, there's no bacon in those minivans. <laughs> there's no bacon. But well, I'm guessing I'm the only person here who's been bar mitzvahed. And if you really want to dislike Jews, get bar mitzvahed in a, suburb, you know, a suburban bar New Jersey mitzvah. synagogue. <laughs> and, and you'll learn to hate. <laughs> I've, I've worked a lot of bar mitzvahs. It, it, look, you know, it looked like, well, this is like my bar mitzvah year. It must have been 1977 or 8, I guess. Um, it, was like, it was like a bad porno, but with no sex. <laughs> I love playing arcade games and going to David Copperfield's performance at a bar mitzvah and being like, I'm sure this is what God intended, yeah. you know? Like, well, my bar mitzvah wasn't quite so high tech. We had the Barry Herman Orchestra, which was like the local bar mitzvah band featuring like my algebra teacher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Well, uh, this has uh, been an interesting show. Uh, we did cover a lot of uh, different stereotypes, uh, including uh, we even had a bona fide Jew with both mother and father Jewish here, Mike. Yeah, I think we learned that uh, all three of us are Jewish today. All three of us, but you're just your mom. Yeah, but that's all that matters. Yeah, no, my, just my mom, too. Mike, is. Uh, do you get any more Jew credit because both parents are? No, right? Does no. the father... Ed- but he got bar mitzvahed, so that's, no, you know... No, did you get bar mitzvahed? Yeah, I mean... Did you? No. Just listen to you, you fucking half-breeds. Yeah, you know, yes, I get more fucking credit. <laughs> the father, I think, should instill nothing. I think we're all equal in the eyes of Yahweh. But, uh, Next year in Jerusalem. <laughs> That's where it's really going to be happening. Um, all right, well. Kansas, Jerusalem. Listen, we've had a great show. Joe, you've done a tremendous job. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and random nameless intern number six. Great job. Can we hear the, the uh, Fairway song again? Oh, that yeah. <laughs> the one, the Steve live? Jenkins wrote one of Joe's songs. <laughs> we have live piano music on my show today. A lot of what? We have live piano music on our show today. Ooh, live piano music. Tell We're us doing- about the show coming up on Arts and Seizures. Uh, 2 o'clock today on Arts and Seizures. We're doing uh, the best three-minute food service stories. So everybody can relive their awful summer slinging blizzards at the DQ and uh, tending bar to morons and whatnot. Um, I have, if we had time, I have a list yeah. from oh, last you Thursday. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, stick around. You want to stick around and be on the show? What? And we've got live No, I got, I, got a, I, got, I got a carve pumpkins. It's October. Okay, so we're doing that. Th- yeah. 2 o'clock, please tune into Arts and Seizures to hear uh, World's Greatest Food Stories. Service uh, food service stories with live piano music. I will say with all though, that stuttering better make it three minutes and ten seconds. I will say though that my list started at eight a.m. and then at four p.m. when I said things couldn't go worse, somebody ran out of the kitchen and said, "Fire! Fire! There's a fire!" And I ran back into the kitchen only to see a grease fire and three Mexicans standing around it with a bucket of water. Oh at which God. point I was oh. like, "Everybody freeze!" <laughs> Get away from the grease fire. So literally, I literally put out a fire. Wow. A literal yeah. fire. That's going to be hard to top. Hey, uh, you are listening to the Heritage Radio Network. We just had Zach Kell, the chef of Community Food and Juice, on 111th if I, 12th. 12th and Broadway. It's a great, fun restaurant to bring your whole family. It's also very healthy. Uh, Mike Edison, thanks for sitting in, telling us about Joe's book and Jews. 
And thanks to Joe Galarraga and Fairway Market. And we will be back next week with Taylor Boddicker of The Fatted Cow. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.